This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Measured Thoughts on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here's your host, David Reepstein. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Measured Thoughts on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Dave Reepstein, professor of marketing here at the Wharton School, and I'm joined, as always, in studio by my co-host, Sunil Betty, who is a Ph.D. candidate of marketing and business ethics. And welcome. Glad to have you here. Glad to be here. So um, we are live every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Channel 132. We are replayed throughout the week. And Sunil, I'm delighted to have you in uh, the program with me. Um, today is the day after the Super Bowl. Yes, it, yes, it is. <laughs> it was a very interesting Super Bowl. A- and you watched the Super Bowl? I watched a lot of the ads of the Super Bowl. Yeah, that sort of is what it is that we do when we're in marketing. <laughs> I, I tell you this story every year, and again it happened. So for the last umpteen years, sure. longer than that, okay. I've been hosting a Super Bowl party for the marketing uh, faculty. Right. Last night I didn't, but another faculty member did. We all go over there. And what I've been telling you is we all chat, 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 chat. Then commercial comes on silence. Complete and, silence. And we all Everybody. watch the commercials and pay attention to that because we are marketing nerds. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what it is that we do. Interesting stuff. And actually what many people will say is the ads yesterday were better than the game. Yeah, because uh, the game had just the game it, it, was a little it, bit slow. It, so tons of people say it was a slow game. It was the lowest scoring game ever. Um, there were 14 punts last year in the entire game. There was one punt. Wow. So really, really different. But I like games that are close. It was very close. And so that, w- that was pretty exciting For to, sure. to see. And it wasn't decided till the very end. So I, I enjoyed that part about it. But I also enjoyed the ads. We'll talk about the ads in the second part of the, of the program. Yep. Um, I'll be interested in people calling in with uh, what they thought was the best ad and why. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I want to know the and why, not just why, uh, which ads they thought were the best. So I want to get a sense of that. But we'll do that in the second half because in the first half, you know, we're measured thoughts. And so we're going to have to hear things about how we measure things and how we use that yeah. uh, usefully in marketing. And so we have a guest on the program by the name of Brad uh, Rick Stalls. And uh, did I say that right? Rick Stallis, I think. Rick Stallis? Well, we'll find, we'll find out from him exactly how it is that we we can pronounce it. He's the CEO of uh, Cogencia. Mm. Yeah. And so we're going to hear from him. Then we'll take a break. Then we'll come back. We'll spend some time talking Super Bowl and find out whatever it is that's going on and what people think are the best ads that they saw. Let me remind our audience you're listening to Measured Thoughts on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio Powered by the Wharton School. You can give us a call at any time throughout the program at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. You can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at biz, that's B-I-Z, radio, 132. If you email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com, note it's measured thoughts that you're writing into. And if you have any questions that you want us to address during the program or next program, just drop us a note on there. We'll be sure to try and get to those. So without further ado, let me turn to Brad Rukstalas, the CEO of Cogencia. And Brad, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Yep. Happy to be here. So make sure I got that right. How do you pronounce your name? Yeah, it's Rukstalas. Okay. 
That's right. So you you got it right, and I'll uh, <laughs> I'll follow your lead on that. So thanks. I appreciate you joining us. Um, tell us tell us about your background, and then we're going to want to dive in and understand what your company is that you're the CEO of. Sure. So I uh, I started uh, many moons ago as a statistician. And I worked for a lot of, uh, of marketing suppliers on the data side, the list side, the um, marketing execution um, side, doing things such as predictive modeling, um, measurement, control group management, long, large multimedia tests, and uh, uh, did that for many years. And then I got a, an MBA in marketing from uh, the University of Michigan. A, and, a great place, by yeah. the way. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, then I went to work for an advertising agency, really managing their team of of data scientists and uh, technology teams that uh, that would support customer relationship management and and uh, customer experience management. And then about 2002, um, in the uh, the depths of the recession following um, 9/11, the industry advertising business went down uh, significantly in in employment. And uh, the the boss at the time said, hey, Brad, we're going to have to keep working harder, rebuild the business. And and I said, thanks, but no thanks, and started uh, what is now Cogencia. So I started out as a as a practitioner of the analytics and of the you know the in depth measurement and and really building the proof points of where marketing works and where it doesn't. And uh, fast forward now, I've got a team of of uh, 25 to 30 people out here in Schaumburg, Illinois. And uh, we have a marketing services firm that does a lot of the same types of things for uh, for clients today. So when we think about um, marketing analytics, uh, and on the day after the Super Bowl, there must be tons of marketing analytics around the uh, the Super Bowl. Were you ever involved in any of that? No. So so I tended to work more on the direct side as opposed to the mass side. So I was brought up kind of on the digital side of the of the equation, although. Um, you know, I certainly have my opinions, nonetheless, of <laughs> what you would <laughs> I bet you do with your ad uh, experience and uh, all your measurement stuff. But in- interestingly, you just said uh, you you work more on the digital side. I think more and more of what happened around the Super Bowl uh, was uh, very much around uh, the whole digital side. There's so much digitally that's going on and social media that's going on around the Super Bowl. Uh, um, that's definitely true, and in fact, there's some brands that not even that were not even affiliated with the Super Bowl that had their digital media strategy around engaging people around, um, you know, certain aspects of the game to really build a you know a brand lever to reach into that relationship. Sure. I don't know how well it worked given the given the you know the, the pace of the game. They say good defense wins games, but it doesn't make for very interesting football. <laughs> no, that's for sure. So, uh, tell me about your company, Cogentia. Sure. We're uh, we're a marketing services firm, and we have three main capabilities. Uh, Our our overall premise is that we help brands connect with individual customers. So we integrate data from across an organization to identify who their customers are, their behaviors, their purchases, their product preferences, um, their online browsing behavior, and we consolidate that and make sense of it with with our analytics, and that's our second... um, Second capability is our machine learning, data sciences, marketing analytics piece that takes all of that information and puts it in a, in, in a digestible format for executives to make decisions and understand how they can optimize their marketing performance. So, and then, so, and then, so, go, go ahead. 
And then the third area is uh, our third-party data. So we have access to a wide range of publicly available information as well as commercially available information about consumers. And that's compiled from everywhere from um, uh, real estate transactions to uh, county birth records to um, you know, uh, DMV, as well as catalogers and other companies bringing their data together. So we have a database of several hundred million individuals that we can use and match to our clients' data to add contact information like address or add things like, you know, age, presence of children, home ownership, uh, with about 2,000 characteristics on different consumers that we can use for that purpose. So it has to start with the client uh, that you have having a list of who their customers are? In some cases, or they have, the, they have the systems that might have that information. So, for instance, there's a lot of data inside a point-of-sale system for a, a retailer or a restaurant, and they may not have that list of customers with an email address or, or a, a snail mail address, um, but they might have clues. You know, they might have a name from a from a purchase you know they might have a uh, you know some some piece of information and then what we do with all of our assets is take that one piece of information and add other pieces to it so we can say oh okay here's someone where I only know a name you know I only, I only know Brad Ruxtalis and he made a transaction let me see if I, what else I can find out about him and we use our third-party data then to say oh we found a Brad Ruxtalis and here's his address and and here's a way you can communicate with him so, so they need some sort of data, but they don't necessarily have to have a list per se. So does that come from credit card information? Um, it's, that's certainly one source. So from a payment, from a payment swipe, that's one common way to, uh, to get that information. Um, but it can also be through online, through IP addresses and, and other mechanisms that, uh, that are in the digital ecosystem. So I noticed a large number of your clients, when I was looking through your website, a large number of your clients are restaurants. And you seem to have a good specialization within the restaurant uh, vertical. Yeah. And, um, and I'm trying to think about when I go to a restaurant, um, what information they have about me. And I know they, they know what it is that I ate, and they know what credit card I used, but I don't know if they have any other information. And so uh, if they have my credit card information, they must have my name. But I thought actually even credit card companies don't even share that data of uh, of the name. So am I wrong about that? Well, so and we in certain restaurants you also might have a like an open table reservation or a reservation. All right. Yeah, that's right. So that'll give you a, that'll give us an email address that we can match or a mobile phone number that we can connect with. Um, and uh, and you're right, a lot of the point of sale providers do not allow, you know, don't have that access to that detailed point of sale data and some do and some have some and some um, some may not have it. So where we can get it, we use it. Um, and it's not, you know, it's, it's, we don't get anything. We don't get credit card number. We don't get any of that information. So sure. from a privacy perspective, we are, um, compliant and we only use it in a very permission based, um, way. So when we use that data, um, within our third party data, we have a list of people that have opted in to allow themselves to receive marketing messages, double opted in, verified. So we will only be using their information. So we're marketing to people that have said, yes, I want to receive communications from brands that I, that I work with. Uh, when, when do I get that request to opt in? 
Um, it comes from a variety of sources. So we, we get that from several uh, large compilers of that data who have a network of, of um, online opt-in um, formats that they use and that they verify. Okay. So let me remind our audience that you're listening to Measured Thoughts on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. We're currently speaking with Brad Rukstalis, who's the CEO of Cogentia. And you can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. So walk us through a specific example. So I know uh, one of the clients that you've listed that you've worked with is Houlihan's. And, and sort of walk us through the specifics of what happened with your experience with them. Sure. So um, Houlihan's is a 40-unit chain. Actually, now they're up to 80 units, um, and they're headquartered in Kansas City. And um, we work with them. We work with several brands in that casual dining space. And um, so we, what we've done with them is integrate their, uh, their data from across their e-club, their mobile app. Their, they have an SMS program. In some locations, they have reservations. And they also have point-of-sale data that, uh, that has certain trackable information, as we were just talking about. And we've been able to identify across their locations um, you know, hundreds of thousands of customers that they hadn't previously been able to communicate with. So they have an e-club, which is people that have, have opted in and said, okay, I want to receive communications from Houlihan's. And, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll genericize this a little bit. It could be Houlihan's, it could be Applebee's, it could be any, any number of, of companies sure. that we work with. But we identify, you know, five to 8,000 customers per location that are now able to be contacted with a message. So what we do then is we'll go through and, and send out um, emails to communicate with them and to, to uh, give them an opportunity to opt into the e-club, number one, and then number two, also let them know that um, they can opt out of receiving any of these communications going forward, but that we would like to be able to reach out to them and, and share offers with them. And, uh, and what we find is that we actually get a fantastic response in restaurant. And we've, uh, you know, we've been able to increase casual dining sales um, at several of our clients between uh, two to four percent um, on an annualized basis. And in an industry where, you know, flat is the new up in terms of growth, right, right. Um, um, being able to show those kind of results really, really is is uh, helping them realize goals that they thought would be uh, very difficult to have. And so, most of the promotions that you end up doing and, and the outreach to them are. Um, or sort of specials and discounts that that's being offered is that rather than just you know promoting the name or promoting you know some aspect of the restaurant, it, it's a price promotion. So it depends. So and we we continually test different messaging to different customer groups. So because remember, beyond just being able to contact somebody, we also have a historical record of the things that they purchased in the past. And so we've been able to customize promotions. And uh, you know, a couple of examples are for for one client, uh, they had client they had uh, customers who hadn't been in for at least two months, but before that had been in fairly regularly. So we sent them a promotion on Groundhog Day, thinking about the movie Groundhog Day, sure. and saying, "Hey, this promotion is good every day in February. You know, fifteen percent off, whatever it might be." And we find that uh, we found that not only did we get a, a a decent percentage of those people to come people to come back they came in an average of 2.3 times during the month of February so to us it's about taking a look at the behaviors of the customers and then finding out the types of messaging 
that would be most uh, most responsive to them and that would maybe have an impact on them. Another example is new menu items. So with a lot of the different health crazes that are out there today, um, you know, spiralized uh, menu items are, are uh, coming into, uh, into fashion at a lot of brands. So we've gone through before and looked uh, before into the database and found customers who had purchased gluten-free menu items in the past and sent them a, an offer for the new, or a, a look at the new menu, and we blew the doors off. Uh, we had about uh, literally nine times the people coming in um, from that promotion that would, than would have come in anyway. Wow, that's amazing. That's very, very impressive. Um, and, and those are examples of types of communication. They're not just price, but working on, on yeah. things that uh, appeal to that particular group. Um, and, and what I'm hearing you also say is all the sort of personalization, because you're not sending that message about the gluten-free menu items to, um, to those individuals who have not ordered gluten-free before. And, and so you'll send out different messages to different individuals within the same restaurant chain? That's correct. Okay. So that makes that sort of illustrates the, the importance of the personalization. So when I'm, I'm trying to think about for a, a typical client that you have, what, what percent of their client base do they even have enough customer names? So for, so for the restaurants we work with, um, we're able to capture – uh, data on about 60% of transactions, 60 to 70%. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty good, yeah. Um, as far, and then as far as communicating, as far as the opt-in list, it's about, I don't know, 30 to 40%. Yeah. So, we, so we get pretty good coverage. And uh, obviously part of our business is looking to how to how to expand that by finding more, more opportunities to find uh, people that are willing to opt in to receive these kind of messages. And those lift numbers that you mentioned, were those within that subgroup or was it overall for the restaurant? Within that subgroup. So within we that, at, okay. Yeah, so we looked at people that had ordered gluten-free. We put some into a marketed group and some into a control group. So we're, we're and the nice thing is with our closed loop, you know, data capture system, we're able to have very tight controls and very great uh, measurements on experimental designs that we might put into practice. And Brandon, a large number of our listeners are small business owners, and um, I'm sort of curious what it is that um, that you believe in terms of data that they might have about their customers that they could be using in a different way. Well, so that's a great question. Um, I think there's a lot of data in organizations, whether it's billing systems or it's your website, um, even if you don't know who a person is, you can still be tracking someone's behavior through things like an IP address, and there's a lot of software to do that sort of thing. Um, so I would say the first thing is figure out where you might have any sorts of data that, that shows you how a customer is interacting with your company and whether you know who it is or not, and then start watching that data and observing how that behavior manifests itself into an actual sale. And then look at how you can potentially impact that through various marketing tactics, um, again, within your website. Or if you, ha- if you have a billing system, make sure you're getting the customer information out of there and using companies like ours or other companies to find out more about them, uh, find out about, more about the customers and how you can communicate with them. And then get out there and, and start testing. So there's all this concern today about privacy. And I, I heard you sort of dancing that line earlier of, um, you know, staying within whatever the regulatory uh, restrictions are. Have you run into some pushback of people saying, wait a minute, how'd you know this? How'd you know, you mentioned the DMV data, the Department of Motor Vehicle data. 
Um, how'd you know that my car is nine years old uh, and, and things like that? Well, what's interesting is I, I think we would get more pushback 10 to 15 years ago when we would have these conversations. Um, I think anymore there's, there's a general understanding on the part of, the, of consumers that there's a lot of data about them, that there really is no such thing as, as being a private consumer anymore, and um, that there's a myriad of companies out there that are that are involved in this. And, and I, I can speak for the ones that we work with. No one is looking to, you know, nefariously use customer information against someone's will. I think we would welcome the opportunity to, to hear from somebody who didn't want us using their data. Um, but that it's all meant to really build a value exchange. So, yes, there's, there's a value to the data that consumers have, but it also materializes in being able to do things like offer a gluten-free menu item to someone who's, who really wants that. You know, it's because you have the technology, and it also can bring down costs from a marketing perspective as well. I would say what most of our clients are concerned with more than, more than the privacy of the data is really data breaches on super personal information such as your credit card number, sure. which, we, which we don't touch. We don't get into any sort of that. You know, we, we tell our clients, don't send us any of that. Um, so I would think that's, that's really what the brands are more concerned about. Sure. Um, are, are, are more and more companies and, and small businesses, you know, sort of taking advantage of this data, or is it just sitting idle um, in the bowels of their company, not even trying to take advantage of it? Uh, well, I would, I would say not even just small companies. I would say many midsize and even some large companies uh, still struggle with figuring out where their data is within their organization and, you know, what to do with it once they have it. Yeah, even some of those large ones, I think they're swimming in data and don't even know how to get their hands around it all. Well, or they have so many different technologies at use that they're, and these technologies that are built aren't meant to interface with each other. You know, somebody builds a, a, you know, a widget that does one thing, you know, it uploads data to a certain type of social media platform. Um, but it doesn't interact with your website or your e-commerce site or your offline marketing channels. So companies are investing in these tools, but these tools don't talk to each other. And I think that's, that's what makes it very frustrating for large brands. Um, and I think it's an opportunity for integrators to come in and build the right solutions off of all of the different technologies that are out there. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering whether or not companies can do some of this on their own or do they have to hire a company like you? And and I know you don't want to promote too much of them doing it on their own, <laughs> but you sort of scare some some people off by saying, you know, there's this machine learning that you end up doing with it. Is it something that could be done at home? Yes. yes. No, in fact, I, you know, I think the more people learn on their own and are able to try to do some of this themselves, um, I mean, the more they'll, they'll realize that there, there are some simple things you can do. And then there's some things where if you really want to take it to the next level, you're probably better off finding a professional that's done it themselves. But for instance, um, for a small brand, I mean, we've, you know, I've got, I've got friends that run smaller businesses and they have, uh, you know, transactional data that they throw into Excel. And they're able to take a look at, at, you know, different types of behaviors and classify customers and, you know, uh, routinely identify people with certain behaviors. Guess what? That's what machine learning does just on a very simple scale. Right. I've often, I've often talked about uh, on this program that uh, I have a florist and uh, she has a little uh, index cards 
and writes down people's name and what it is they order and for what occasion and then goes back and contacts them. Oh, you know, your mother-in-law's uh, birthday is coming up. You want to be ordering something. And it sort of is that same notion of trying to take advantage of the individual data and you don't have to be a big business in order to do that. And uh, it's it's an important thing. Yep, it is. It is. So, and, uh, oh, go ahead. so uh, where do you think all this is going? What do you see as the, the future of marketing and, and trying to take advantage of all this wealth of data that exists? Well, I think... Um, as we as we look at all of the data that that is collectible and the technology that now exists to interpret and massage and to um, um, come up with the right personalization that can occur, um, I'd like to think that as marketers, especially in some of the larger organizations or supplier side like me that we can start to lift our heads above the, some of the day-to-day tactical things that we spend our lives doing. Right. And we can think more about process and think about marketing uh, more as a programmatic exercise. You know, we work with a utility company, and we've been able to use uh, machine learning and data integration to figure out how to optimize renewal notices. It's a deregulated utility. And we have, uh, we counted up the other day, we have 42 different messages that we send out, messages, channels, offers, um, every month to based on all of the information we know about somebody. We pick the, the one or two that, that a customer will get. And once we're able to automate all of that, it allows us to say, okay, we've got a retention marketing factory taken care of. Now let's move on to prospecting or upsell. So I think more and more systems are able to take away a lot of the, the campaign and the dirty work that's involved and really allow everyone to be more productive in thinking about where they can really move the needle in, uh, in strategy. So that's where I hope it's going. Um, and, and you're applying that to your own business? Yes. Okay, that's what I wanted to hear. I, I, Brad, i got to tell you, I believe you're absolutely in the right spot, and this is where um, marketing is moving, is being able to use that data and use it in some intelligent way, and it serves the customers better. That I need to emphasize that. I think it serves customers better because, hey, if, if, you know, if I'm interested in a, a particular type of food on the menu and you're telling me about what's on the menu next month, uh, that's serving me better. And and so I think it, it's a win-win all the way around. It's a win win for the customer. It's a win for the restaurant, and it's a win for you. And uh, this is the fu- the future of marketing. It's absolutely where we're going. Yeah. So thank you very much for joining us, and um, and good luck with it. Uh, keep up the good work. Great. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. We're going to need to take a, a short break, but please do stay with us. When we get back, we're going to take your calls on anything related to marketing, branding, and metrics in the second half of the program. Uh, We also want to hear what your favorite Super Bowl ad was and why. So want to hear that. To do that, you can give us a call at 1-844-WARDEN. That's 1-844-942-7866. You can send us an email at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Mention Measured Thoughts and... Let me remind you, this is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 